0: Did you know the number one book, the book that's most quoted in the New Testament, is the book of Isaiah. It would be Isaiah's prophecies that would indicate that Jesus was the Messiah. It was was he, uh, Isaiah, who would identify uh, Jesus' miraculous birth. It would be Isaiah, who would identify Jesus' death on the cross as a payment for sin, uh, his book would be that very first, you know, play, very first reading that Jesus would have in, this, in a synagogue that's recorded in the Bible. Uh, and it is from that reading that Jesus would declare that he, his, uh, the prophecy, he had come to fulfill Isaiah's prophecy that was there. But what is it that drove Isaiah to these messages that he would deliver to his own day? You see, he was a prophet, and a lot of people don't understand what a prophet is. A prophet is not uh, simply someone who predicts the future. And if you think that's what a prophet is, then uh, you missed the boat on that. See, a prophet is somebody who speaks for God. Understand that. Now, will that sometimes include predicting the future? Possibly, but not always. Most of the time, a prophet was preaching uh, to the people of the day. Uh, Prophets are not well-liked. Uh, they're not well liked for a lot of reasons. We had this guy that was in our church, uh, came to our church as an evangelist at, uh, when I was in Knoxville, and I'll tell you what his name was. He's, he's passed away now, but he's got him Manly Beasley, and he was a prophet. Now, every time we had revivals in that church, the the, the attendance would grow each night. We went for, for a whole week of revivals, not these three-day things or whatever it was that uh, the churches are doing, well, they used to do anyway. But we went for a whole week uh, with revival. I mean, even on Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and all over. You know, we went for the whole thing, and then back to Sunday again. We would have a revival. But and, and when Manley came to preach, the numbers went down and down and down. And, but the reason is because he was rough. He was rough. You see, a prophet is the kind of individual who will confront sin without any sugar. (laughs) You understand? It confronts sin. People don't like to be confronted. They don't like to be told that they're doing the wrong thing. And this is what would happen with him. A prophet a prophet will teach. They'll teach, but they, uh, they don't coddle the, the students. They are bold. They are so bold that people try to avoid them. I'll tell you what a prophet was. And so uh, you can see how he came up with these messages, though, by his calling. And that calling is not so that you write a, a book of Isaiah or whatever your name is. But that calling is still available for people to step out with God today. Some of you may be prophets, not to predict the future, but to address some of the things that are going on, especially in the world today. So how how was it that Isaiah came to this spot? Well, first, God uh, brings Isaiah to a commitment. This is the first thing that happens here. And so we're going to get into this and and, uh, piece by piece here, just out of Isaiah chapter 6. Chapter six, verse one. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Uzziah or Azariah, he had both of those names, Uzziah and Azariah, uh, was a godly king. Now, the only thing that he didn't do is he didn't remove the high places where people would go up there to worship. uh, And literally was more of a pagan-like thing. He didn't remove those. But generally, I would say of Azariah or Uzziah that there was a following of the Lord by the people and by the king. His administration was something that was known. For Isaiah, there there was a stability that was there. I mean, many times I believe I believe this happens. People will vote for the, the person in office because they know what the person in office is going to do and they don't know what the other person might do. And it's the same kind of thing here. It's the stability that goes on there. But what happened here is, is there was a wake-up time. And God uses wake-up times for us to come to him. This is what happened with Isaiah. There was a wake-up time Uzziah or Azariah, whichever you want to call him, passed away. And it was a wake-up time. The foundation that he was standing on was taken away. And it is then when the Lord comes to us, you don't see that Isaiah is suddenly saying, hey, I think I'm going to go up to the temple of God today. He doesn't say that. This is something that, that happens to him. And so Isaiah is transported to the temple. He's transported to the temple in this vision that he has here in such a way that he either can respond or he cannot respond. Understand, when the Holy Spirit comes to us, we either quench the Spirit, we either put it down, say, no, I'm not going to listen, I'm not going to do that. Or what do we do? We embrace the Holy Spirit. And we embrace him and we we, we say, we will go with you and we will do with whatever you want us to do. And if you continue to quench the Spirit, you'll get hard of hearing. That's what happens to you. You start to get hard of hearing. And in reality, this is how we get hardened hearts. I'll talk more about that in a minute. But it's how we get hardened hearts. I mean, how do you explain that in one worship service, the same worship service, we'll have somebody that says, The Lord was really here today, he spoke to me, and the other person says, I didn't get anything out of this today. Why is it that one can, can hear him and the the one can hear him and the other one can't? Why is why does that happen? You see, what happens is, is that you start getting hard of hearing when you quench the Spirit. I remember when I was called into the ministry. When I was called into the ministry, the preacher said, what if it were the last time that I was called into the ministry and I said no? Well, I knew it was the first time. I didn't know I was going to get a second chance. I didn't know if I'd ever get a second chance. Nobody knows if they're going to get a second chance, by the way. You know, when the Lord comes and tells you to do something, you don't have any idea. The Lord's going to give you another chance to do that. But if the Lord comes to you and says, I'll give you salvation today, you come to me today. And and you say, well, you know what, I'll wait. You know, you don't know that you're going to get a second chance. Now, I said yes, but that's not, that wouldn't have been the greatest tragedy. You know what the greatest tragedy would have been? is that as the Lord was leading, I continued to say, no, I won't do that. No, I won't do that. No, I won't do that. Because what happens when I keep saying, no, I won't do that? I get hard of hearing. I get hard of hearing. See, true joy is found in obedience. It's not doing what you want to do. And I can tell you from personal experience how many times I've had bad things happen because I didn't do what I, I I, I, I should have done, what I needed to do. I did what I wanted to do. When I was in college, I was not a good student. I mean, I was a terrible student. I would cut class and I would, you know, I would not study. I did a lot. I just did enough to get by. I remember, this is really a true story, folks. I'd skipped a class that I'd skipped it for so long that when I showed up, they were having a major exam that day. And I knew nothing about it. Now, there were some people in the room that were joyful, but I was not one of them. You understand what was going on there. I hadn't done what I needed to do. I hadn't done what should have been obedience. And so what did I do? I got what I deserved is what I really did. I got a very stressful situation out of that. Now, I learned not to do that by the time I got to seminary. I didn't do any more of that. I didn't have any more the cutting of classes and doing all of that kind of stuff. I studied. I did all of the stuff that I needed to do. But you see, it's not the person that does what they want to do that is really joyful. It may seem like a happiness for a short period of time, but it will not bring joy into your life over the long term. So God then calls you out of your comfort zone. Well, let's go on and read a couple of more verses here. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called uh, to the, uh, another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah is given this vision that he has right before him. He's in the temple where God is revealing himself. He, he sees the seraphim. Now seraphim, I don't know about your angeology and what you know about uh, angels, but seraphim are a higher order of angels. They actually serve in the presence of God. Their name, seraphim, means fiery ones, so you get an idea of what they might look like. They're, they're fiery ones. And they have a concern for holiness and morality. See, they are not the same kind of angels that you would see at, uh, at uh, Jesus' tomb. Because those would look like men. And they evidently looked like men. And they were mis- mistaken for men. But these seraphim, they saw God's glory so clearly that it was such a blinding light that they covered their eyes. You understand they're covering their eyes because they're in the presence of God. And they see God's glory just as bright as it is. And they respected God with so much that they covered their lower parts, which would be their their feet, really. They, would their, they had much more respect for God in this. This was not a place that you would have said, Oh, this is nice. I think it'd be nice to see that. That's not what you do. I, mean, I remember the first time I went to Luxor in Egypt, you know. Uh, we flew into Luxor and we got, we got, you know, we got out of our bus and everything and we go to this, big, this huge Egyptian temple and, you know, it's twilight and so they have lights up on the thing. And they're, you know, you've got these columns that go really up in there and there's hieroglyphs all over the place. And there you can still see the colors that the people, you know, had uh, stained the, the, you know, the hieroglyphs and stuff with. And I remember I went, wow, I want you to know, folks. You ever get into the throne room of God? It won't hold, a, it, it, that, that Luxor thing won't hold a candle to this. It will be beyond your imagination. But getting outside your comfort zone excites our hearing, God. You can hear him much, much more clearly. You get outside of your comfort zone. Moses got outside of his comfort zone when he saw that burning bush. Paul got outside of his comfort zone when that Damascus road, he could hear so well. It, it comes like this, folks. You're either going to fall asleep in church or you are going to hear God. That is really what's going to happen. You're either going to fall asleep. You're just going to lay back, and go, uh, you know, I didn't expect to hear anything. I didn't hear anything. I'm not going to hear anything. I'm not going to. And what you have done, I'm going to tell you up front, folks, you are still in your comfort zone cuz you get outside of your comfort zone your your ears will hear like you have never heard before you will start to see where God is moving and you will you will you will respond to what God is doing and so i always pray lord get these people out of their comfort zone my sermon's not that good so i need something to help help me with this so please god get them out of their comfort zone they'll hear you then they'll hear you see god's pure Holiness, though, reveals the stain of sin. So what does is Isaiah say in, in verse 5? He says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am the man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm telling you, folks. Well, Isaiah realized where he was and what, he was, what was going on. He said, I am toast right now. And the reason is, is because it was understood, and it still is true, by the way, that the very holiness of God is absolutely holy. And if the unholy comes into the presence of a holy person, and God is, there, God is defined by his holiness, then either the unholy has to make the holy unholy, and that's not going to happen, or the holy, unholy has to be, Eliminated. Those are the two options that Isaiah could see at that point. And he said, woe is me. In other words, I am done for right now. This is what he, but he didn't know that it was a third option. He didn't realize there was a third option. And that is, is that Isaiah then could be made holy. He didn't understand it. He didn't understand it at that time, but he does understand it later for he says in Isaiah 53, 5, we read it, uh, or Gary read it on the screens earlier. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. See, we live in a world today that believes that self-denial is the greatest sin. You should be able to do anything that you want to do. You should do it anytime you want to do it, and you should be able to do anything you want to do. We live in a world now that self-indulgence and adulation by others is the greatest fulfillment in our lives. And so what we are looking for more than anything else is how many hits can I get on my social media for something that I've said? How many, how many, how can I even promote myself? So many people are even getting involved in worthwhile causes. Worthwhile causes that they're posting and getting others to post for them so that they will become famous. And they think they're going to be fulfilled by this. But they do not understand The very nature of holiness in which we need to be cleansed. And if we don't show them, folks, if we're the believers and we don't show them what holiness is, where are they going to ever see holiness? So Isaiah is there in this place and realizing what's, you know, he's realizing he's toast. And Isaiah is struck dumb. This is the root of having unclean lips. For unclean lips cannot sing praises to God. Hear that from me. Unclean lips cannot sing praises to God. Not really. They can sing, but they won't be singing praises to God. We had this evangelist also in the, in Knoxville. And he was a, he was a former uh, pro football player. I can't remember his name, but I remember that. He was a former pro f- football player. And during the singing time, you know, in the service, he used to walk up to people and say... Are you saved? Do you know Jesus? Is Jesus your Lord? He would go up and down the aisles doing that while the rest of us were singing, you know. And, and uh, the pastor, I wasn't the pastor there, I was the minister of education. The pastor said, I realize you're doing that, but how do you know which ones to go up to? He said, easy. I just go up to the ones that aren't singing. That's it. See, because they can't sing in many cases. I don't think that everybody that doesn't sing is not saved. But I do believe that when it comes to the whether you're saved or not, you should be singing somehow, not because you're a good singer, but because you want to praise God with your lips. And so and I say, if you can't sing here, you won't be able to sing in heaven. You hear what I say in there? If you can't sing here. You won't be able to sing in heaven. So God's sacrifice is the answer to sin. Let's go on with uh, verses 6 and 7 here. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. See, Isaiah wanted a solution, but he didn't know the solution. This was not something he could do for himself. It is a sacrifice that was necessary for him for cleansing. This was the sin offering that would have been on the altar here. The sin offering was fully consumed rather by fire. And so the seraphim touches Isaiah's lips, and he is cleansed. You know, he would never be able to... Have the service of speaking for God if he didn't have clean lips. You know, John Wesley, John Wesley came to America to preach the gospel, to convert the Indians, it said. It was, it was a guy named Hutton who wrote a biography of him. He said he was enamored with the Moravians who had a faith that he would like to have for himself. Hutton also describes the influence of these Moravians they they had on on John Wesley. Especially, he talked to this one uh, guy called August Gottlieb Spangenberg. And when he he got into Georgia, actually. And Spangenberg came up to him and said, My brother, do you know Jesus Christ? And Wesley replied, I know that Jesus died for my sins that's not what I asked you said Spangenberg he pressed him do you know Jesus Christ he said I hope he died he has died to save me he said but do you know yourself he was not content with that skin deep type of work and Wesley said no I long to know Jesus Christ and in Wesley's journal, Wesley would write, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? You see, a lot of people think that if I can answer those questions correctly, I'm going to heaven. I know that they must be true. I must be going to heaven. That's what they actually believe. But that's not the truth. The truth is, is have you, have you a real relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm talking about one which you talk to him, he talks to you. Do you have a real relationship with Jesus Christ? Can I ask you today, do you know him? Do you know him? Not know about him. It's not just knowledge. It's not just head knowledge. It's a real heart knowledge that you know. It's both. There are a great number of people who know the Bible and know much about Jesus. But do not know him. They can answer the questions as well as Wesley could. And at least Wesley was honest. He said he didn't really know Jesus. He knew about him. He could answer those questions. But he did not know him. You see, you will never be able to have a conversation with Jesus without your lips being cleansed by his sacrifice. What he has done for you. So Isaiah responded to God's open-ended call. Verse 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I. Send me. See, Isaiah didn't ask, How much do I have to give? He didn't ask, Where do I have to go? He didn't ask any of that. What he does is that he said, I will go. The true follower of Christ doesn't put limits on his or her commitment. Jesus Himself said you can't put anything before him. He said, anyone who loves his father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, even himself, even put yourself before for him. He says cannot be my disciple. Not anything can do that. See, when I was in the placement, when I was in seminary, I went to the placement office there because I didn't have a church to serve when I when I was getting close to graduation. And I remember they had a questionnaire to, to, uh, to fill out so that they could try to place you and find churches that might be interested in you. And it, it said, is there a, I remember this, is there any place you will not go? And they gave some examples on that thing. Are there any place you will not go? And I said, I got it wrong. I didn't know you get to pick where you want to go. I didn't know you get... You don't, folks. You don't. When we were looking for Brett, we interviewed a minister of music. It was in Texas. We interviewed this minister of music. And I remember I sat there over lunch and the uh, wife of this minister of music said, said, we are not going to your church because I will not go anywhere from uh, outside of 300 miles from my mother. And I said... Thank you, Lord, for my wife right there on that spot. You know, Karen has never, ever said a word to me about a place that she would not go for the Lord. And I was so thankful for that. Now, that doesn't mean there's no place or there's places that she wouldn't go. Just if the Lord was in it, she wouldn't go. Because I told her maybe a year ago, I said... You know, I've I've had her go with me wherever where the ministry was and we, we she had to change jobs and do everything, you know, because of, of the ministry. And uh, I said, well, you know what? It'd be nice if we could go back to a place that she would like to be, you know, when I retire someday. So I I looked. She grew up in Abilene, Texas. And I said, you know what? We could move back to Abilene, Texas. You know, I found some, you know, I I was just looking around to see what things are like there. And I I saw that they had, you know, universities there. They had, you know, great health care there and, you know, and all of that kind of stuff. And so I went to her and I said, I said, when we retire, you know, we could move back to Abilene, Texas. So you could be there where you grew up. Now, she said three little words to me that I think that probably every husband has heard when they've had a great idea. She said, are you crazy? <laughs> so that's not where she wants to go. But anywhere else, the Lord calls us. Isaiah is called to preach to a people who will not, i say that, will not respond. Let's go to verse 9. It says... And he said, go and say to, uh, say to this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Let me, let me just stop there for a second. Here's the thing, folks. When God is hardening a heart, do you understand this? You know what he does? He gives grace. And what happens when you give grace and you don't respond to the grace? You start to get hard of hearing. Your eyes no longer able to see. Do you understand what's going on? Your heart gets harder. And the more that you give grace, the more you give grace, and the more that it's responded, the more that uh, it's it's rejected, and the more that it's rejected, the harder the heart gets. It gets harder and harder and harder. And, harder. and what happens? They can't see anymore. They can't hear anymore. I had a cartoon in my office. I don't have it anymore in my office. There's a cartoon in my office. And it's got these two guys, I uh, had these two guys rather, With uh, they had the sandwich boards on, you know. They're standing out by the road and it said on their, their deal, it said, the end is near. And so they went out and stood by the road and they're waving at this car, trying to get the car to stop, you know. And, and these guys keep on just barreling. In fact, they hit the gas and they run as they're going by and they see the sign that says the end is near. And they yell out, religious nuts! And they keep on going. And one of the guys says to the other one, you think we ought to change our sign? To what? To the bridge is out. <laughs> you know, is it harsh? Is it harsh to yell the bridge is out? No, folks, it's not hard to yell that the bridge is out. But some people will not listen no matter what you say. They will not listen. They've gotten hard hearts. And those who continue to ignore God's warnings have hardened hearts. That's what happens. I hope you're not one of those people that you ignore what God is saying to you. So Isaiah asked, when do, how long do I do this? Is there a time that I really need to just to, to, to stop doing this? Let's go on to verse 11. And then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and the houses without people, and the land is desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And many in the rest of the land. Oh, let me go on. And then, and though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is a stump. You see, Isaiah said, answer, or God answers Isaiah. God answers, for the rest of your life, you will do this for the rest of your life. So... You see that you have there on the stump. You see that it says that there will be a stump that remains. Isaiah would name one of his sons a remnant will remain. Isaiah preaches the message without reserve. And what happens to Judah? Judah would be conquered and taken slaves to Persia long after Isaiah would be martyred. Did I tell you they don't like prophets? They martyred him. Yes, the people hated Isaiah's prophecy. Yet he delivered a message of a coming Messiah. It was a hope. You know, today's message is simply this. Get ready. Jesus is coming back. Nothing has changed in that message. A remnant will remain though. Just like the remnant in this day, will you be part of that remnant? Pray with me.